Alright, verse 6 to 13. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. All right. Now, these trumpets I take as warning judgments. Let's look at what you see before we think so much about what they mean. The first trumpet sounds, and what happens? Alright, fire and hail is thrown down to the earth, and a third of the vegetation is burned, and all the green grass is burned. And then the second angel sounds, and what happens? Exactly, that's exactly what you see. And what happens to the sea? And a third of the stuff in the sea is destroyed. Third angel sounds, and what do you see? Yeah, a star falls down into the rivers, and they become bitter. Third of them do. And a lot of people die because of the bitter waters. Kind of the reversal of Exodus 15, uh, where the bitter waters were purified. And then the fourth trumpet sounds, and what do you see? Sun smitten, moon, stars. They're darkened for a third of the. A third of them are darkened, uh, so they wouldn't shine for a third of the day. Now, that must mean that there's some resets in this. Because this doesn't really fit with the picture of the sixth seal if that was continuing to operate. The sun was already black back then. The moon was blood. So I assume that we reset whenever we see this again. Also probably an indication you can't necessarily take these as literal. Um, But I think even in the story itself, you've got some some resetting. but, but some terrible things, you know, I mean, these are some pretty severe judgments, some pretty um, terrifying warnings, but really, these aren't the bad ones yet. Look at the eagle's announcement. You know, eagle's kind of a 
ominous bird anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa for the next three. Numbers five, six, and seven. I call them the woe trumpets. You know, these first four are bad, but the woe trumpets are worse. The first four more or less affect the things that surround man. But five, six, and seven are going to more directly affect man. So, uh, you, you think it's been bad? It's going to get worse. By the way, already, and this will happen more in the next couple of trumpets, does this remind you of anything sort of earlier in the Bible story? The plagues, yeah. Did you see some tie-ins already to the plagues? Like what? The hail, the turning to blood, the darkness, and so forth. Then we're going to see locusts and, and things like that. So these are similar to the plagues. And the plagues were really warnings to Pharaoh about what he was going to do if Pharaoh didn't, you know, give in. And these are warnings to the people on the earth. It'll get worse if you don't get better. Right, comments and questions on chapter 8. People are already trying to hide. <laughs> exactly. Again, a lot of people, though, make these specific things. Do you think they have any specific applications? They do. I don't know what the specific application is. I, I would prefer just seeing these as warning judgments described in these kinds of terms, but you try to make them something more specific. I've seen attempts to do it, and they haven't convinced me that they knew any more about than I did. I agree. All right. The fifth trumpet. This one's a lot more elaborate and quite something. See if you can, you know, try to visualize this, kind of see what's going on here. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw... My time. (laughs) (laughs) Time's up. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit... The smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of the great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon them, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of the scorpion with the stings of man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, and death leads from them. And the appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, and many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after me. All right. Uh, You have to really kind of, you know, take this a step at a time to realize what's going on here. 
The fifth trumpet sounds and there's a star from heaven. And what happens with this star? Falls to the earth. And what does the star have? Two. Now, this is kind of an aside, but this is kind of a curious thing. This isn't the first time that somebody's had keys in this book. The keys to death and Hades were given to the one who had risen. The key to the pit is given to the star that has fallen. Looks like the, star, the key was given to the angel. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, to him. To him was given the key. I've taken the him as being the star, which probably was an angel. That's the way I take that. I, don't, I may be wrong about that. But but he saw the star fall and the key, I'm assuming, was given to the star. But that, that wouldn't make a lot of difference uh, in the interpretation of this. Either way, the guy with the key opens the bottomless pit. Now, when you think about the bottomless pit, does that mean anything to us? It's not a good thing. It wasn't. What would you associate the bottomless pit with? Yeah. Satan. I mean, this is just like you know, place of evil, wickedness. So he opens the bottomless pit. It's probably something you don't want to have open. You know, kind of reminds you. What was that? Uh, what was that in mythology? Was it Pandora's box or whatever? The you know, one not to have open. You know, so you open up the bottomless pit. Hard telling what'll happen. Well, what comes? What what happens when you open it up? When you open it. Up? This, this billowing smoke comes out. And out of the smoke comes these locusts. Now, you know, the Bible talks about locusts. Kind of reminds me of Joel 1 and 2 a little bit. You know, and there's other locust plagues in the Bible. But these are not locusts like you've ever seen before. What's odd about these locusts? Yeah, they have scorpion-like tails. Any of you ever been... What do you say? Stung by a scorpion? Anybody ever been? I have not either. But they have scorpions in Brazil. And, whoa, from what I understand, it is horrendous. It's like a hundred times worse than a bee sting. And even kills small children sometimes when they're stung. So scorpion stings are severe from everything that I understand. That's what these locusts can do. There's some other odd things about these locusts. They don't go after the vegetation. They do just the opposite of what you expect ordinary locusts do. These guys don't eat the green stuff. So these are really, uh, these locusts are on a very unusual diet. What else is a little bit odd about these locusts compared to ordinary ones? Yeah, yeah they, only, they only sting the ones that don't have the seal of God in their forehead. And how long do they stay around? That would not be normal either. Usually locusts, you know, eat up all the stuff and move on. These locusts plop down for five months there. And they just torment men. Man, they're stinging with those scorpion tails. I mean, how bad is it for the men? They want to die and they can't. God won't let them die. Now, now look at this. This locust plague comes from where? From the pit. From Satan himself. 
But this is tormenting who? The wicked. Now, I'm sure if Satan could have, he would have had the locusts torment those with the seal of God. But God's in charge of this. There's all sorts of limitations and, and things that God puts on this. Satan can never do things autonomously. He's, he's, he's limited by what God allows. But it's kind of intriguing to me that Satan would torment his own people. Would he do that? Maybe if they were thinking yeah. of repenting. <laughs> No, yeah, Satan would do that. You know, I mean, we'd have, I think, popularly, ideas about Satan that are just totally wrong. You know, I mean, I think there are people who are big bad dudes, you know, who are like, man, I'll get to hell, and Satan will like me. You know, we'll 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 join together, and 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 you know, I'll be one of his favorites. He doesn't have. Satan hates everybody. Satan wants to bring the wicked people down to hell with him so they can be tormented too. I mean, we almost have the, even this idea, you know, th- th- does Satan like hell? Does he, li- does he enjoy it? No. Absolutely not. Hell was what God prepared as the torture appropriate for Satan and his angels. You know, we have this whole idea about about hell and Satan and so forth is totally wrong. Like, well, you know, Satan loves it there. You know, if you're really bad, you'll like it. No, no, no. It's all horrible. And Satan wants to hurt everybody, even his own people he wants to torture and 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 afflict in every way he can. There is absolutely no goodness, no love, no kindness, no virtue, no anything with Satan and his forces. It's all hatred. It's all wickedness. You can't trust Satan. Not even if you're on his side. Anyway. And it's also it's also interesting that when when Satan runs somebody's life or interferes in their life or takes over, uh, uh, he never causes them joy. Absolutely. The results of following uh, evil... Uh, bring evil down upon your head. Absolutely. Make your life horrible. Absolutely. Remember that demon possessed boy that the demon often throws him into the fire and into the water and whatever? Yeah. That's the way Satan is. So this plague that comes originally from the abyss that God, of course, is steering in the direction he wants it to go shows that Satan's against his own people too. He rewards his loyal subjects with cruel torture. And uh, it's just it's just terrible. Yeah. And he, yes, Eric. I was thinking, you think in chapter 2 when he was talking to the people at Thyatira when he says that they don't know the depths of Satan, that maybe at this point they went, wait a minute? <laughs> if they didn't, they should have. That's exactly right. It's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, woo. We don't even understand what the depths of Satan would be like. And, and did you see these locusts? Wow. You've never seen anything like this. Can you imagine a swarm of bees coming to you? You know, their body type is like a horse. 
They got a crown of gold on their head, men's faces, women-like hair, teeth like lions, breastplates of iron. They sound like a bunch of chariots rushing off to the battle with these scorpion-like tails. By the way, the tails are always important on the devil and his allies. We'll see a couple more tails that are important in this book. And uh, they are certainly allied with the devil. You can see that in verse 11. Um, and so this is just, wow, just horrible. The, God's purpose in this is to bring a severe warning judgment. And, and you know, those first four were bad, but this, this one is so much worse than those first four. And verse 12, the first woe is past, but we got two more woe trumpets to go. This is terrible. This is just severe punishment trying to wake people up. Comments and questions through chapter uh, 9, verse 12. Eric. Um, sometimes it's you know, just kind of confusing trying to keep the particular kid from the little, from the whatever. Yeah, I understand. Do you think this is also letting us know that, you know, we look at this and we go, wow, this is horrible, but I'm assuming hell's going to be a little worse. Yeah, I, yes, I think you're certainly right. I just don't think, you know, I mean, can you imagine a, a situation in which there's absolutely no light, no love, no goodness, no truth, no loyalty, there's no virtue. That, that, that God and everything associated with God that, that you're totally banished from that. And the, wow, we, we can't conceive of what that would be like. It's just, you know, I think even that in itself makes the, the environment of hell so horrendous that we can't even really relate to it. Other thoughts? Yeah. This is kind of motivation for me to make sure I let other people know that they're going to go to this place if, if they don't change their ways. I mean, how can we go throughout my life? How can I go, um, you know, seeing people walk down the sidewalk, seeing people driving on the highway, and not try to do anything about them, knowing that this is ahead of them if they do not turn to God? I mean, this is as big motivation as anything I've seen. Yes. And, and certainly the Lord here sees fit to warn these people on the earth. You know, he wants them to be warned. Good point. Eric. And and follow up what he says is to me this isn't just what's going to happen to them later. That's actually what's happening to people today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what you've got here, which is the foreshadowing of how bad it's going to be. But you're exactly right. I mean you know, I mean, sin punishes itself even here, let alone the eternal punishment. All right, the next woe trumpet. Trumpet number six, 13 to 19. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One sang to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released. 
so they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw the vision, and the horses, and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceeded fire, and smoke, and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths, and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Okay, when the sixth angel sounds, there's this voice from where? The horns of the altar. And what do we associate with this? What do we associate with this altar? The prayers of God's people. That's telling me that this trumpet woe comes as a response to the prayers of God's people, and uh, this voice tells the angel with the trumpet to release the four angels at the river Euphrates. These are the four angels that are prepared for the exactly precise time. And when these angels are released, what comes? An army of horsemen, 200,000. 200 million. Okay. Yeah. That's a huge number of horsemen. Uh, do you know how many people there are in the U.S.? Aren't there 300? I think there's 300 million. I may be wrong. Anyhow, that's a good percentage of the people in the U.S. They tell me that in regular formation, that would be a cavalry one mile wide and 85 miles deep. And these are not exactly horses like you've seen before. What's odd about these horses? Fire. Yeah, they've got these incredible breastplates. And what else? Lions. lion's heads. And what's worse? Yeah, these horses like their food cooked. <laughs> They're prepared to do it on the spot. And what else about these horses? Yeah, they got snake tails. And again, the tails of the forces of evil. Um, and so, this is a terrifying trumpet. This army coming to, to, to destroy, to punish and terrify and torment the people on the earth. You know, alright, so you got these warning trumpet judgments. And they just keep getting worse and more terrifying. What if you were a wicked person on the earth? And you face this series of trumpet judgments. What do you think you'd do? Hopefully repent. You know, wouldn't wouldn't crying uncle at some point uh, need to be a serious consideration? You know, look at verse 20. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Can you believe that? Yep. <laughs> You've been in the world very long, you probably can. But isn't that ridiculous? You know, what would you think if you were God? 
in this situation? Yeah. Just exactly, you know, what would cause these people to repent? I think I know the answer. Nothing. Nothing. If you won't repent after this, I don't think you're repentable. This is just an incredible response. They are continuing to worship the very forces that are bringing about their destruction. They are continuing to live in totally wicked and immoral ways. It's amazing. God is, in response to the cry of His people, He's bringing about warnings that ought to have struck terror into the hearts of these men and caused their repentance. They're willing to be terrified, but they are not willing to repent. What else can God do? Now, I might add as a parenthesis, do you suppose that the Lord intended for Christians, say, in Pergamum and Thyatira to take a look at this too? The ones who were having people there teaching it's okay? To eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit immorality? You know, while I think the point of this is primarily those who are persecuting the Christians, to whatever extent the Christians share in the behavior of their persecutors, what would you expect to happen to them too? So I think there's an aside, perhaps, where some of the people in some of those churches would have to uh, be shocked by this as well. Comments and thoughts through chapter 9. Eric. I need to show my ignorance. Uh, That's okay. What is brimstone? I got the fire, I got the smoke. Sulfur. Isn't that like burning sulfur? Yes. Sulfur. Yeah. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah had fire and brimstone thrown down on them and they were burned up. So, yeah, I don't know a lot about brimstone, but I think it's burning sulfur. That's Good question, Scott. Just going back, you know, a little bit, I'm still trying to, to picture everything and see how it fits in. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> I am too. And, and it ain't working. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, uh, the crowd. You know, I, I can see that the, the judgment's coming and the parallels between uh, the plague and warning the middle of the earth. But then, you know, chapter 9, uh, the, the first part, is God using Satan or is he just using the things of Satan that to punish men? You see what I'm saying? I'm not sure why there's a difference, but I would say he's using the things of Satan. Yeah. He's using the locusts that come out of the abyss. Uh, it, it just seems... You know, the, the, I, I just have a hard time understanding, I guess, how that... It's, I mean, I understood what you said, that this is a judgment from God. These are all the things that are going to happen. And I would have thought that... Uh, I guess I just don't see why Satan is... If this is Satan, is brought in in a personal sense, leading this one particular woe, whereas, you know, he's not in the others, or... I'm just having a hard time seeing understanding it. I, I know when you do sinful things, you may think you're benefiting, but you're not. You know, there's evil things happening to you uh, while you think uh, everything's fine. And so, 
the things of Satan harm you, and they cause judgments, further judgments to, to be brought on you. Um, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing how that judge that judgment just seems different to me than yet. That's a real good question. I may not have a totally satisfactory explanation. To some extent, I think maybe we have to modify just our parameters in that. Um, I'm not sure that's much different than this next one, where at least the serpent-like tails, I would connect with Satan, maybe even the whole cavalry. Um, you know, coming from the Euphrates is coming from like the place of Babylon and the place of, of wickedness. I really think that God uses a variety of forces and sources to bring about his judgments. He uses angelic forces, but he also uses demonic forces. And I'm not sure for God that makes that much difference. You know, I mean, I think it would be pretty... I mean, I think it's pretty weird in a sense that the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan that God used to keep him from pride. Why would, I would, I mean, you know, obviously Satan wouldn't be trying to keep Paul from pride. (laughs) You know, I I think Satan had a different purpose in that. But I think God, you know, overruled Satan's purpose. I think, I think Satan constantly does all these things that God uses for his purpose. I I certainly would agree with that. I I guess I could see Satan is going to cause mischief in the world whether people believe in God or not, just because that's the type of person he is. You could have two totally atheistic societies, and he'd still just assume they were fighting and killing each other. Yes. You know? Yes. And yes. it's not, yes. I think. And so maybe that's... And, and, and Satan is not real smart. <laughs> you know? I mean, really. You look at some of the, the bonehead moves he's pulled. I mean, why in the world did he crucify Jesus? I mean, that that destroyed him. That was that was the thing that more than anything kept him from his purpose of getting all men away from God and and into hell with him. You know, I don't think he knew what was going on. Now, I mean, you had all those prophecies and you had even things Jesus said. I still don't think Satan figured it out. You know, I mean, I, so I, it may well very well be in this that Satan didn't even realize what God was doing to him. So I just think that, you know, by the language of the passage, we really have to take this as originating from, you know, the devil. And yet, clearly being limited and directed and used by God for his purpose. Certainly, under the control of God, even though it's... So I think this is almost just giving us more information. I think this is actually maybe, you know, I don't know if we... It might be if we look... I mean, you, you sort of have that in 1 Kings 22... With the uh, you know demons trying to get the false prophets right. to uh, get Ahab to to uh, to do what he did and and things like that maybe maybe Second Thessalonians two with the deluding influence and so forth I mean I, I think you do have at least some somewhat analogies but maybe this is a stronger passage to say God will sometimes execute His judgments even by the forces of Satan you know directing and orchestrating I don't know it's an excellent question I mean I would have the same questions but Matt. This description of this, this terrifying army uh, that seems to have some 
demonic associations with it. It reminds me of Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11, where there's this description of this terrible, cruel army of the Babylonians who's going to come and attack Israel. And, I mean, they're violent, they're, they're godless, they're, they're proud, they're arrogant. I mean, this is not a good group of people. And God says, I am bringing these people. Now, their motivations were not, you know, godly. Their, their motivations were because they were a cruel, bloodthirsty people who wanted to take over the world. And that was certainly Satan was behind that. But God said, I am doing this to judge Israel. And so even when Satan thinks he has a purpose in mind, and he may well have a purpose in mind, we see how, how ultimately how subservient that purpose is to God's greater purpose. And, I mean, it doesn't mean there aren't hard questions like what Scott's asking, but those are legitimate questions. Um, but we, we, just, we see how, how, how God's purpose is just acting on a totally higher level and, and yeah, that's a better answer than I gave. I agree with that. I think that's good. Yeah. Just imagine how many times can God, or constantly, well, how many times can Satan constantly just keep losing and losing and losing and seeing that his plans are just failing and failing and failing until he gives up? Well, he doesn't. Yeah. And we, we, we've just touched the hem of the garment of that. Wait till we get to chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Chapter 12 is fascinating. And, uh, wow. It just, like I said yesterday, if it weren't for Satan being so bad, you'd feel sorry for him. You know, and, uh, but I think it's a really good answer. I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, certainly, you know, the nations that, that Satan rules over <laughs> are tools in the hand of God. And, uh, and yet they're self-willed and arrogant and all those kinds of things. It's a really good answer. And just a reminder, this is all part of that seven seal, the scroll that God was presumably the author of. This is his, his will being accomplished. Even through these things, he orchestrated it. And so whatever Satan's role and motivation was in it, God was orchestrated. God is amazing. I mean, that's the thing. What you end up seeing is, wow, the Lord's just incredible. He's wise and, and able to use some of the most unlikely instruments for his glory and purposes. That is really incredible what the Lord does. And I mean, the more you study Revelation, and, and the more the farther we go in this, I think the more we're just stunned by the Lord's, you know, insight and ingenuity and whatever. Other comments or questions? Rick? The thing that comes to mind about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Satan, um, the thing I always liken it to is sort of a chess game uh, where you have God basically the old grandmasters that have seen every move, done every move, and you have Satan before someone who's yeah, exactly. And so the grandmaster will actually lure the opponent into making moves that play right into his hand, and he doesn't even see it. Exactly. Yeah, he thinks he, the opponent thinks that he's just about got him, and the truth is he's walked right into the trap. Yeah, I think that's an excellent analogy. It's just so amazing. Remind you a little bit of First uh, Corinthians two, talking about. The, you know, God, uh, God's wisdom doesn't fit with the wisdom of the world, but it's certainly wisdom. And uh, he says in uh, verse uh, 8, you know, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had realized what God was going to do with that, they'd have never done it, but it just shows you how they didn't have a clue. It's always so, it, I mean, the, the great thing about all the Bible, but certainly about the book of Revelation, is just what it shows you about the Lord. 
you know, we need to we need to just be more and more impressed with God and, and praise Him and just see His His wonder. And, and I appreciate the really appreciate the questions and comments and the attitudes here. You know, some really good questions and good comments. And you know, I obviously don't have all the answers. And I don't understand every detail of this by any means. But I think even when we don't we can see so many things that are so powerful and so helpful to us. And we should not study a passage just because we don't know every detail about it. We don't know every detail about anything. But we, we can be really helped and encouraged and strengthened by the things that we do know in all of this. And uh, so I really appreciate it. This is just really you know, helpful to me. And, and you know, the questions and comments really help me. They make me have to think... You know, people think of things maybe differently and they make you try to have to reason through and uh, it's just really helpful. Anything else you want to say through chapter 9? Really, we're doing quite well with our progress. I'm pleased with this. Um, and so, I think we're going to take a break and maybe in uh, a few minutes we'll have supper and just be able to uh, visit together for a little while. And, and uh, you know, we'll take a, whatever break is necessary to, to do all that and then we'll, we'll get back together and uh,